Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here, great to be able to uh, unpack this second week of uh, emotionally healthy spirituality. And as James said, the, the theme this week is knowing yourself so that you know God. I wonder if you've ever been in a, a situation, maybe it's an icebreaker, or you've been in an interview situation, and they've asked you if you could be an animal, or if there's an animal that describes you, what animal would that be and why? What animal would that be and why? Just turn to the person next to you very quickly and just say, I would love to be, or the animal that best defines me is this, whatever it might be, very quickly. Fantastic. Fantastic. I hope that's opened your eyes perhaps to, to some people around you. Maybe some of you have been surprised. Maybe if you know that person, you're like, do you know what? That absolutely fits. I get that about you completely. But it, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Why do, we, why do we do this? We do this because ultimately we want to understand both ourselves, but also the people around us. And one of the things that we do is we try to kind of give ourselves a bit of a shape as to what that looks like. And for some reason, somebody at some point decided that actually animals are a good way for us to do that. And we define ourselves by certain animal characteristics. How can I understand who I am? I know I'll use an animal to help me. So maybe some of you are, uh, you know, you've defined yourself, I'm a bee. I'm always buzzing around, busy, 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 going from one thing to another. That's me, I'm a bee. Or maybe others say, no, I'm, I'm definitely a cat. I sleep, I eat, and then I sleep, and then I eat, and then I sleep, and then I eat. Or maybe others, you're an eagle. I'm lofty and aloof and above everything, and I look down, and I keep myself distant. Or maybe a sloth. I'll get to things don't rush me. Don't rush me. I'll just get to things when I'm ready. When I'm ready, just give me time. But whatever it is, however you define yourself, it's a little way of trying to understand something about us and about the people around us. Because it is sometimes hard to understand who we are. And it can be fun. It can be useful. In some cases, you know, it's true and it's honest. It's a, a kind of reflection of a part of our personality. But it can also be a way of masking, of putting across a sense of a false identity. Because if I define myself as a cat, it's like, oh, isn't he cute? Approachable and lovely. And we ignore the fact that I've got claws and bitterness and, and hurt and things underneath. We'll pretend that's not there. I'm just a, a cute, cozy cat lying asleep on the sofa. We can ignore other things. I can present an image, a, a sense of a false self that allows me to say, look, this is who I am and I'll hide everything else because you don't need to worry about that. Let me project an image for you because I want to... I want to present myself in a certain way. And we all do it to a, a certain degree. We all have this, this kind of false sense of, uh, of, of what we present to people, both to ourselves, to other people, but even we try to put up uh, on a mask before God. 
And as we continue to the second week of our series on emotionally healthy spirituality, we need to be open to the fact that knowing who we are is a key part of our spiritual and emotional health. And as we develop our emotional health, it then deepens our spiritual health and our relationship with God. And as we deepen our relationship with God, that in turn shines a light on who we actually are so we get to know ourselves better, which leads us to understanding who God created us to be and deepens further our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, this isn't new things. This isn't you teaching this awareness of yourself and your relationship uh, and, and how that's intricately related to our relationship with God. We can look back through the ages. Augustine wrote this. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? He prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. Another mystic from the 1500s, St. Teresa of Avila, she said all this, almost all problems in spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. John Calvin says this, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by so many ties, it's not easy to determine which one precedes And gives birth to the other. As I get to know God, I get to know myself. But also as I get to know who I am, not the image that I'd like to project, not the person that culture would like to shape me to be, but as I understand who I am as God created me to be, it helps me understand my relationship with God. Knowing yourself. I wonder if you would be honest with me this morning and say, as I look at myself, I'm a bit of a mess. I'm a bit of a mess. Some bits, they're okay, but there's also some other bits that are a bit of a mess. You know, we all have baggage. We carry baggage with us. We all have issues. You know, if you sit here this morning and say, Pastor Paul, I don't think I've got any issues then I'd honestly have to say to you then, I think that's your issue. Because I know there are people around you who would know you and think, "Mm, maybe there's some things there that aren't quite right yet. Emotional baggage that we carry can come from our circumstances, our experiences, our family of origin. But it goes much further, much deeper than that. We live, we were born into a broken world. David writes in Psalm 51 verse 5, I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. When we come into this world, we carry baggage and scars already. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've been born into this condition, this sinful nature. Paul continues in Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. He says this, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. God's glorious standard, it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. The problem is not God's set standards. The problem is with me. As I get to know myself, I need to recognize the problem sits with me. 
as we deal with some of the emotional baggage that we have and, and how that impacts our relationships and the things around us, if there are issues that we are facing, we have to start by recognizing the problem is me. I'm a mess. A mess that can be fixed and worked on by God. God doesn't, God invites us into relationship with him because he loves us so much. But because he loves us, he doesn't say, in your mess, I'm going to leave you. He says, let me draw you in so I can, you can be shaped by me and transformed by me. The problem is me. But Paul then goes on to say in the very next verse, he says, the trouble is not with the law, for it is, a spiritual, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. And he goes on and says, I really don't understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I don't understand myself. Again, I wonder who can relate to that. I don't always understand myself. I don't understand why I do the things that I do. I don't understand why I react that way when certain people are around me. I don't understand why those things particularly trigger that particular reaction in me. I don't understand why I'm in turmoil over this particular situation. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Paul has, Paul expresses this internal struggle. It's not what God wants that's the problem is me. I'm too broken. I don't understand myself. If Paul, who is, you know, Apostle Paul, one of the greatest thinkers of the New Testament, if he doesn't understand himself and he's writing in the present tense, he's not writing, I didn't understand himself. He says, I don't understand myself. If Paul comes to that place, then I'm sorry, how arrogant are we if we think we're any better than the Apostle Paul and truly understand who we are? We're all shaped by our circumstances and our situations, our experiences, our family of origin. It's nature and nurture. The things that shape who we are. And some of those things can absolutely be really positive for us. You know, we can uh, have a family background where it's been safe and it's been secure and our parents have modelled love and security for us in a way which has, has formed us and shaped us. Maybe we've had people who've walked along this, this journey with us and, uh, and people we've been able to, to learn from and come under. Maybe youth leaders and other pastors and they've shaped us in a, a good and healthy way. And our marriages and our, our family relationships are strong and that's, and that's fantastic. We rejoice in those things. But even with that, there are things that we know we react in ways that actually aren't healthy. But also... Some of those things can be really hard because we're hurt and we're scarred. And because so much of that's vulnerable, we don't like showing that part of ourselves, we kind of hide it. But also, we don't always understand it. We don't always see the things that have impacted our lives. There might be situations where I think, I've dealt with that and I've moved forward. But there are times when God says, I want to come along and deal with some of those things. Because right now, those scars are shaping you. And we need to heal those wounds so I can shape you. And that's the point that we're trying to look at this morning where Paul says, I don't understand myself. And it's only as God, uh, and through this season, God wants to peel back some layers in order that we might get to know him. But as he's doing that, he's revealing some things about us 
so we can go deeper with him. And Pete Casero in his book, he talks about a few things as, as to what this might look like, knowing ourselves so that we might know God. One of the things he particularly talks about is, is feelings, our emotions, how we deal with our emotions. You know, many of us grow up to be told that feelings are unreliable and not to be trusted. I grew up in a church family. I love my parents. They certainly gave us a very secure background. But there was certainly some of those times within church when we're saying, I need to listen to God. What's God saying to me? Where we were told it's not about what you feel, it's about what the Word of God says. Use your mind, your intellect, but ignore your feelings, your emotions, because they come and they go, they rise and they fall. I don't actually believe that's the right way for us to either read God's word or to listen to what God is saying. It might also be in the context of family that our emotions and our feelings are are kind of subdued and suppressed. There's certain feelings we're told have to be avoided or controlled or pressed down. Some of those might be those things that we might call kind of negative feelings like anger and fear, depression and sadness. And we're told that those things aren't godly things and so let's not, let's not get angry, let's not get depressed, let's not be sad. The joy of the Lord is my strength and so whoopee, let's all get on with it with a big happy smile. But we're not true to who God is and who God calls us to be when we deny our feelings, when we pretend that they're not there or refuse to listen to and engage with them. In fact, the more that we deny them, the more that we push them down, the more that we, that we pretend that they're not there, the more we become less and less and less like the people God has created us to be, the, God, the people that God has designed us to be. God is a God who feels. We are created in his image. As you look through scripture, we see God expressing delight in his creation. He looks and he sees that it is good. He expresses regret. We see that with uh, the life of Saul that we're looking at last week. God regretted with Samuel that he'd made Saul king. God expresses and he says, I'm a jealous God. I, I chase after that which is mine. He expresses anger and love, compassion, sorrow, joy. And we are made in his image. And these are all emotions that we can hold on to and say, these are godly emotions that I can express. God obviously handles them in a way which is still holy and righteous. And that's how we are designed to be as we, as we, as we shape, as we use our emotions You know, feelings are not bad. I know we have verses like Jeremiah 17, verse 9, which says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I know sometimes we can use those verses and just, uh, and in one sense, put ourselves down. But also it can sometimes be used to say, ignore your emotions because look how wickedly bad they are. You're just being led by your sinful desires. But I also look at Genesis 1, I look at Psalm 139 and see how I am made in God's image, unique, designed by him to fit a particular purpose, to be an expression of God here on earth. And so we need to find that balance, that, that, that there is... That, 
that humanity in and of itself is not an evil thing, that there is good inside of me, the good that I can listen to that is God. So as I'm chasing after God, it's not about just what goes on in my mind. As I, I want to listen to God and open myself to hearing from him. I need to use my intellect, but I also need to use my emotions. I need to hear what is perhaps coming in externally through God's word and through the preaching, but I need to hear what God is saying to me through the God-given emotions that he has placed inside me. We were having a, a, a business meeting, a team meeting here at church with some few people, and we're just talking through some things, and there were some people saying, you know, what about this? Here's some pros and cons of something. And I just sat there and thought, do you know what? You know, there were definitely times, and I'll look at the pros and cons, but there were also times when I sit there and where's the peace? Where, God, are you giving me peace? Because the pros and cons can say one thing, but actually, God, what are you saying? Where is the peace? Our emotions, our feelings are important. We have to balance that. We don't just let ourselves to be uh, led by emotions, but we need to also make sure we are listening to our God-given emotions. Jesus demonstrates all emotions through his life. But when we bury our, our anger, our rage, our disappointment, our sorrow, our depression, even our joy and delight and happiness... When they're pushed down, we're not living the life that God called us to live. What might that look like for us? Sometimes, perhaps we've said these things ourselves. I'm not really good at feelings. I don't really do feelings. Or maybe... It's, I don't know what I'm feeling. There's stuff going on. I don't know what I'm feeling. I can't decide. I don't understand myself. It's just a blur. Sometimes even at a specific moment, maybe you've had a meeting at work, a, a meeting with a manager and you walk away, you kind of recognise, I'm feeling depressed again. Why is it I always come out of these meetings, meetings feeling depressed? Maybe there's some things going on and actually what normally happens, what you know is your pattern of behaviour, whenever something's going on, you just feel overwhelmed by the emotions of what's going to happen and you can't manage it. Just overwhelmed. I need to run away, I need to hide, can't deal with this thing that's going on inside me. Maybe you've always been taught not to show anger. And that's what you say. I'm not angry, I'm not allowed to show anger. But even sometimes it's the simplest things of, you know, particularly for, for, for lads growing up, boy, big boys don't cry. We say it, big boys don't cry. Why not? I'll confess, even was doing this a couple, last week when we went apple picking. Uh, and I don't think he's here today. One of our, our international students, first, first week in the UK. And we're apple picking uh, and, and there's nettles. If you're British, you understand stinging nettles. And it stung his hand. And um, then a few of our very gracious uh, Indian uh, people were like, let's get some dock leaves, because that's the answer. And I know it's the answer, really. But I was like, it's just a sting. I've been stung about four times already. Just get on with it. And, and, I, and I said, just man up. And I knew as I said it, and, I've, and I've, I've had to learn this myself, we don't need to say that. It's just, why do you need to man up? What is it about being a man that means you don't show emotions or pain or anything else? It's nonsense. 
So we all still do it and we say it. We create a culture of saying you don't need to worry about emotions. But it's not actually how called us to be. Now, of course, it's just a stinging nettle. But anyway, um, (laughs) we need to understand the emotions that go on within us. And if we carry an inability to understand ourselves, and particularly this internal emotional stuff that's going on inside us, we we do that thing where we're wearing a mask, a false self, a presentation that says, I'm okay, but underneath, there's stuff I don't understand or stuff that's going on that I kind of do understand, but I just don't want to touch it. And we wear masks that hide uh, ourselves from other people, putting on potentially a presentation of how we want to be. It's a mask that hides us from ourselves. And it's a mask that we put up before God. Now, God can obviously see behind that mask. But we like to think, God, you know, here, here I am. Here's all of me. Just ignore that stuff that's over there. Don't worry about that. It's a bit like the iceberg figure that we've got, the 10, 10% that is seen and the 90% that is unseen. Too often, even as we come to God, here's my 10%. Please just ignore that 90% because I'm not ready to deal with that right now. And maybe it's fear that prevents us from allowing us, allowing God to take off that mask and begin to reveal some layers. Maybe it's fear because we don't know what's there. We're scared to find out. But whatever it does, it prevents us from going deeper with God. It stunts our growth in Jesus Christ. And as we go through these daily offices, these devotionals that James has taken us through one this morning, uh, and, and I really encourage you to do this because if we are in a place where we want God to, where we want to go deep with God, where we want to think, God, I need you to change me, we can go through the same motions of just doing the things that we're doing and, and just present, the, here's my 10%, God, take this bit deeper and ignore the rest. We are losing out on an opportunity to go deeper with God. And these daily offices, where we spend these, these minutes of silence, they might be a challenge, they might be hard. But they're the moments where we say, God, here I am. Please start looking behind the mask. Please start showing me the emotions, the circumstances, the situations that I'm carrying that are preventing me from going deeper with you. Please show me. I don't understand. I'm a mess. I don't understand. I need you to show me. Paul talks about putting on our new self, putting off the old self. Ephesians 4 verses 22 to 24 says this, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It's the same idea of of putting off, taking off a set of clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. But it's more than that because it's not just a case of let me put on a new suit which makes me look good on the outside but underneath I'm still kind of that mess that needs that needs cleaning up. 
because Paul talks about it, renew your thoughts and your attitudes, renew your thinking and your feeling, that what God wants, what Jesus wants to do when we clothe ourselves in him is to to change and transform us so that we are like him with uh, and created so our, our feelings and our thoughts and our emotions are truly righteous and holy. That Paul is saying that you need to break from the past. I know next week we're going to be looking about uh, tackling the past in order for us to, to move forward. But we need to understand that Paul is saying don't hold on to the past. Don't just put on a new set of clothes and think that's going to help you get to uh, and become a better disciple. Allow yourself with your thinking, your thoughts and your attitudes to be changed and transformed. Allow that of you to put off the old and take on the new. They go together. The understanding that in the context of my relationship with Father God, I need to understand who I am and allow him to change and transform me so I see more of him. You know, last week we looked at King Saul. If you've... Um, if you missed that and not able to catch up, we've got that on YouTube. Uh, James's sermon, do, do go and have a look at that. So you just get a picture for where we're starting this. But King Saul was an example of someone who didn't handle his emotions well. He was an emotionally unhealthy person. He showed all the characteristics of unhealthy emotional spirituality. He avoided responsibility. He deflected He refused or ignored the fact that he was responsible for something uh, until it was at a point where, you know, he'd kind of be prodded into him as like, okay, yes, I guess it was me. But there's another character in 1 Samuel, just a few chapters later, who demonstrates a remarkably healthy emotional and spiritual response to some challenging personal and situational situations. We haven't got time to dig deep into that this morning, but we're going to spend just a brief time uh, looking at the story of David and Goliath. We're going to go deeper on Wednesday in our our Bible studies together. But in 1 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have the story, the the well-known story of David and Goliath. But David actually defeating Goliath isn't the, the, the purpose of what we're looking at this morning. You see, often that's where we look. But as we go, as we look at the story in the lead up to David going out to fight his battle, we see that there were challenges along the way that shaped the process that actually enabled David to win his battle. It was the challenges that he dealt with at the beginning that enabled him to win his battle. Let's just look at that very briefly. We know that the Israelite army is facing off with a Philistine army across the valley of Elah. And and Goliath, a giant of a man nine foot tall, has come out daily, twice a day for 40 days, challenging the Israelites to send out a man to come and fight him. Who's who's coming to fight me? Come on, who I am. And and whoever wins this battle, we will be victorious and and the defeated ones will be our slaves. And he comes out day after day, 40 days, morning and evening. A little bit like our devotions, morning and evening. But this time Goliath is confronting and challenging the people of Israel. And Saul and his army cower in fear. And along comes David, a teenager who would normally be out looking after the sheep. 
been sent to the battlefield by his father to provide food and provisions for his brothers who were old enough to fight. And David comes along and he hears Goliath's challenge and he asks who's going to stand to fight this pagan who dares to challenge the armies of the living God. And already around David, people are sitting up and taking notice. Are you serious? Have you seen this man? And yet David sees it differently. We immediately see there's something different about David, about his view of God, about his understanding of who he is, and that he clearly stands there different to those who are cowering around him. And then David's brother, Eliab, suddenly becomes aware of David. How wonderful. Let's, let's really enjoy this family reunion. Eliab, who's been on the battlefield for 40 days, for waiting for David to come. And here's the provisions. And oh, what a wonderful embrace. Actually, that's not quite how it works. Verse 28, Eliab, he was angry. What are you doing here, David, around here, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taken care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Now, we don't know enough about David's background and his family situation to see where this comes from. But we see immediately a challenge to David. What do we see here? We see that David has his value and worth challenged. Who are you here? My little squirt of a brother, what are you doing here? He's belittled. He has his character challenged. We know about your pride and deceit. He has his motives and intent challenged. You just want to be here to see the battle. See, how often do we know that actually it's within our families, those closest to us, that we hurt the most and become hurt the most? One of the challenges that we face with our emotions is this familial uh, a, a challenge, the challenge of family, the challenge of familiarity. We deal with those things, I'm sure, far too regularly. In the space of a few words, David is completely undermined by his older brother's uh, challenge. I wonder how King Saul would have reacted in that situation. I wonder how you or I would react if we are challenged by someone who's supposed to be loving us, supporting us, being for us, challenging our character, our motives, belittling us. And then King Saul hears David's comments and he calls to him to come. And so David comes to Saul and then David says to Saul, don't worry about this Philistine, I'll go and fight him. And immediately another obstacle is thrown in his way. Saul's reply is, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. And David once again faces a challenge. This is the the challenge of expectation. He's put into a, a box and says, you're not old enough. You're not experienced enough. You're not mature enough. You don't have what it takes to carry out this job, this role. The challenge of expectations. And then even when we get to see as far as Saul agreeing to David going out to be Israel's champion, Saul is still trying to shape David into something he is not. The challenge of comparison. 
Saul gets David to try on his armour. Try this on. This is what I wear. This is what uh, someone going into battle should wear. This is how you should look. Compare yourself to me. Look what I've done. This is how I do it. And ultimately, David turns around and says, yeah, but it's not me. That's not what I do. That's not who I am. I'm not going to fit into your comparison. Because A, the armour doesn't fit me on a physical sense, but also spiritually. I'm not King Saul. I'm David. I know who I am. I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. In all of this, all of these challenges, David clearly sticks to his true self. There's no false sense of him trying to be something that he's not. He doesn't need to become defensive over his brother's belittling. He doesn't need to slink off in shame. He doesn't need to pout or sulk to get, or get into big family arguments. None of that defined him. None of what his brother said defined him or changed his mind over what needed to be done. David doesn't need to be weighed down by the expectations of his experience or lack of experience in Saul's eyes, of his age or physical maturity. None of that defined him and what he was choosing to step out to do. He doesn't need to step into the shoes of someone else and do things their way. He knew that he was going to be successful by being himself and not by living a life of comparison to others. These are all the true marks, the hallmarks of someone who has a deep sense of who they are. I know who I am. You know, when we respond to those things, those family uh, challenges, in a way which actually expresses and shows that actually we, we are responding to those false accusations in a way which undermines our self-worth. When we are responding to things, to, to people's expectations of us and doing things a way that because, and changing the way we do things because of people's expectations, then it shows that we actually don't yet have a true sense of who we are. When we compare ourselves to other people and think they're doing better, they're doing that, I want to do this thing, let me look how they're doing it, I'll just do it their way. We don't have a true sense of who we are and who God has created us to be a sense of who I am knowing myself that I may know God comes from not trying to fit into expectations of other people not fitting into other people's comparisons not responding to things accusations and things that come at us verbally and saying I'm safe and secure in knowing that God is my God and he created me to be this way Now, of course, we need God to shape us and transform us. Of course, we have. We still have mess. We still have baggage that needs to be shaped. And so there are still things that we need to listen to other people so they shape us. It's not that we completely disregard that thing. You see, we have to live both separately but also together. Peter Peter Scazzaro Scazzaro, uh, calls this in his book Differentiation. Differentiation is this idea that we have the ability to affirm and hold on to our distinct values and goals, a sense of who I am, aside from, apart from all the pressures that are around us, while remaining close to people who are important to you. 
That's a sense of differentiation, emotional maturity, spiritual maturity. Jesus carried such a perfect sense of differentiation that he could meet people's needs. He could be in close communion with his disciples, with his friends. And yet, in spite of being rejected, in spite of being misunderstood, in spite of all the false accusations, he stayed true to his identity. John 13, the beginning of that, just the last supper, we have uh, just a short staying where Jesus says he knew his time has come, but he knew where he was going and knew where he came from. And out of that sense of his identity and his purpose, he was able both to fall on his knees and wash the disciples' feet, but also face the cross that was coming. Out of a sense of, I know who I am. I understand that I love these people around me, but my sense of purpose is Godward in how I act these things out. I wonder how David did it. I don't doubt that David developed this sense of self and understanding of God in the solitude and silence of being out in the fields looking after the sheep. What an amazing time he must have had, maybe beginning to write his psalms, his songs, as he looked around and saw the evidence of God all around him. Of the sense of understanding God's protection and provision for him as he fought the bear, as he fought the lion. And out of that stillness and that solitude of getting to know God, God was able to place in him and and prepare him and ready for him for all that lay ahead. So the groundwork for the battle with Goliath was already done. Make room in silence and solitude to listen to God because it's in those moments, so often in those moments, that we win the battles that the enemy puts in front of us. As we continue over these next few weeks, we have to make a decision. Do we want to see change in our lives? Am I willing to allow God to poke around behind the mask? Make room in silence and solitude to listen to hear. Are we going to spend the time to allow God to reveal things about ourselves in order that we might know him better? Are we willing to know him more so that we might have a light shined on who we are? Maybe this morning you're in a place where, really like Paul, you don't understand who you are. I don't understand myself. And so the prayer is, God, open my eyes. Are you in a place where you know that you are far too easily influenced and shifted because of what others say to you? How they place expectations on you by the temptation to compare yourself to others. Now is the time to bring them to God and say, here I am, change me. Here I am, do what you want to do. Hannah, just come and join me on the stage. I just want us to sing this song to close. We sang it a little bit earlier. Don't have to stand. Feel free to stand. But this is our response to say, God, here I am. 
I invite you to do whatever you want to do to change me. But let's be honest. If you aren't ready for that, then don't sing. Don't invite him. Let's be honest. Let's not pretend. Let's take off that mask and say, God, it's just you and me. If I'm ready, I'm going to sing this and respond with open arms, open hands, open heart, open mind. Father God, do whatever you want.